Yeah, the toys. <laughs> Where did you get all these? My dad was a collector. I inherited them after he died from a long, painful bout with... Super Bowl! <laughs> hey, an original G.I. Joe. With the full frogman suit. Jerry, what are you doing? I'm putting this on him and we're going to the sink. Oh, no, Jerry. You're priceless. They've never been played with. I just want to touch him a little. I said no. Three dates and she still won't let me play with the toys. Hmm, that's interesting. You know, someone mentioned to me you were not very happy with your toys growing up. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> right, right, right. And uh, you mentioned that uh, you didn't get a G.I. Joe. You had... An army piece. Right. <laughs> it was made of wood, and in the rain, he would swell up and then split. And we all know how painful that can be. This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Now, crank it up. <laughs> All right, welcome to the Grown Up Rock Podcast. Hollywood, we got an interesting one here today. So you and I have toyed with in the past of doing an episode on memorabilia, collectibles, that type thing. So we got a special guest to bring in, and that's the CEO and founder of Knucklebones Collectibles, this rock icon statues and other things that are super cool that are out there in the rock world today. Tony Simmerman is our guest today. Tony, how's it going? Real good, real good. How are you guys? I am good. Uh, I will tell you in this room, I got a Kiss Road case. I've got an Iron Maiden Number the Beast. I've got an Ace Dynasty era, hotter than hell, and an Alive behind me. Nice. Yeah. So, scoop here. Uh, <laughs> we're working on the Destroyer set. Nice. Nice. That's the one of the you know the original lineup that we um, we haven't done yet. So. That's when the customers start to get crazy. I'm sure that you kind of label your customer segments and, you know, the, most of uh, your customers are collectors, but I open everything. So am I a different label to you as a customer or am I still a collector? No, you're just like me. There are, there are class classifications, too, but yeah, I'm a, an opener would be a good way. <laughs> I, get, I get stuff, open it, want to display it, have it around, handle it. Now there's the, 
one to show, one to go collector who will buy two of everything. And they're, they're opener and a, a hoarder. They will put it away and maybe bring it out on the secondary market and make some money some years later. And then there's the people that get them and they go in their room and um, <laughs> they never look at them other than to make sure it was okay when the, when they landed. But yeah, I'm, a, I'm an opener. Yeah. For me, it's an aura. It's a memories tied to it. There's like, I love being in this room because like everything that I love is displayed around me kind of all the time. And it really gets the creative juices going, to be honest. Yeah. And I mean, that collectors, the nice thing about our stuff is it's one night scale. It's not, some of the collectibles can be amazing, but they want to get really big. And, you know, something that's a foot and a half, two feet tall, it's great. But what the hell do I do with it? I can't sit it on my desk because then it's like Judge Smale's looking around the uh, the lamp on his desk in Caddyshack. What the? Get dressed, you're playing golf today. No, I'm not, Grandpa. I'm playing tennis. You're playing golf and you're going to like it. What about my asthma? I'll give you asthma. What did you shoot today? Oh, I don't keep score, Judge. Oh, well, how do you measure yourself with other golfers? By height. And I'm... No slouch myself. <laughs> Don't sell yourself short, Judge. You're a tremendous slouch. And or you know, it won't fit on a it won't fit on a shelf easily. So that's that's a nice thing about our scale. You can you can put it on your desk, it won't get in the way. It's not super big, but it's bigger than a typical action figure. One night scale is so here's Phil, for example, I'll just give you. So one night scale, everybody, you know, depending on the pose, they'll be about eight and a half, nine inches tall. The portrait is about the size of my thumbnail there to give you a Give you some sense of just how big the typical rock icons is. And that's that's the same format for 20 years. Knuckle Bones is 20 years this year. 20 years in a row. I want to make a point of that. Don't take any time off. <laughs> so, Tony, as we like to start with a lot of the first-time visitors to the Grown Up Rock podcast. So, I know your dad worked at the Kennedy Yard Center there in Washington, D.C., and you saw a lot of concerts. That's part of your bio. But what was your introduction into rock and hard rock music as a kid? Was that your introduction? No. So, I mean, we all had older brothers, sisters, cousins, right? So there's that. Yeah. But, like, the, the seminal moment is I switched from public school to Catholic school in the third grade, and there wasn't any bus service. I want, the, the reasons for that we're not going to get into here. I went to Catholic school. Yeah. Uh, and there was no bus service. It was a private school, and both parents worked, so I needed a way to get to school. And the neighbor kid had just graduated high school. So he was my he was my ride. And a nice nineteen sixty-eight Dodge pickup with an eight track. And I listened to what Ronnie White listened to on the way to school. And this is about nineteen seventy. So the first Sabbath album comes out, then Machine Head. Then the original James Gang, and then, you know, crazy stuff like Blood Rock, you know, the original Stoner stuff. That's what I listened to. It was amazing. Kennedy Center stuff and being backstage, those are amazing memories. But that's like, you know, that's your listening time to and from work, to and from school. Yeah. You know, that's, that's prime time, right? 
Absolutely. We were eight tracking. <laughs> that in itself is crazy. <laughs> that, that tells you how goddamn old it. <laughs> so that brings to mind was the first thing you bought with your own money? Was it an eight track or was it an album or what? It was an album and it was Jimi Hendrix at Monterey Pop with no Redding on the back. Remember? It was yeah. Jimmy's abbreviated set on the front and no Redding on the back. Well, you know, I gotta ask because I'm looking at you and If I had to guess, I would think that I'm older than you, but your timeline is saying you're older than I am. I'm I'm 57. Trust me. I'm very, very old. You don't look it, though. (laughs) Very kind. (laughs) (laughs) What did did Indian Jones say? It's not the years, it's the mileage. (laughs) (laughs) Trust me, I've lived a lot of miles. (laughs) I'm 61 years old. We'll go ahead and just get that out of the way. So, old enough to see a lot of stuff not old enough you know for some of the original rock stuff that's already kind of nosed over or you know starting to to disintegrate you know about the time that's happening the beatles are breaking up you know clapton's doing his own thing the yard birds are no more zeppelin's forming you know elps have you know progressive rock starting to happen at that point i can honestly say you know I wouldn't trade that period. They're like, do you want to go back a little bit earlier and catch Hendrix? And I'm like, no, I'm good. Cause that, that was the convergence of the original rock scenes happened. You know, there's an industry now it's curated and that's when the shit really hits the fan right then with, with all the different stuff you would get with progressive and there's heavy stuff. There's metal, you know, but it's, it's Zeppelin and Sabbath and that's metal. And then, you know, some other stuff. And then of course all the, the rock and also, you know, growing up in the, the Kennedy Center, I got to see, you know, Billy Preston and the spinners. So I have a huge love for soul and funk. I mean, that metal to me is a term I use more like Aloha. Metal is just something cool. That's yeah. metal. So, I mean, flying the family stone is friggin' metal. If you, <laughs> I, I, was, I was there. I saw it. <laughs> it's better. You, you like it all then. That's the wonderful thing about growing up in that environment. So, my dad is the manager of Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. And the Kennedy Center is a huge building, but there's actually five different venues inside the Kennedy Center. There's the concert hall, which is the biggest, which he managed. And then there's the Eisenhower Theater, that which will, will be theater plays. And then the Opera House, which will be opera and ballet. And then there's two theater labs up front. So you could you could go and you know literally see you know, the Bolshoi Ballet and the Ballet ballet venue and black oak arkansas could be in the the concert hall and you know hal holbrook could be doing something in the other place and just to uh, walk around it and be around it all the time didn't mean i dug everything but i certainly have appreciation for it and i i at least i, I saw it and didn't like it versus not knowing shit about something and saying you don't like it there's a difference with that but yeah i, I like it i like it all and that's the reason i, I was able to see it you know, it is. You see something live. You know, you see a picture of a painting, but you go to a museum, you see it. You know, that's a holy shit moment. Yeah. You know, a band you wouldn't think is you know a big deal. I saw you know one of the greatest shows ever was Tom Jones. I mean, holy shit, what a performer! The ladies are into it and just amazing. Something you wouldn't think about, but when you see it live, it's like wow.
please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. So as a personal preference, though, what are some of your favorite bands, past or present? I mean, are you more of a classic rock person or or you do prefer soul and funk? Um, no, I'm classic rock, heavy, 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 the heavier, the better. And progressive were my go-to things. So, you know, Sabbath, Deep Purple, Priest when they come out, ELP, yes, Rush when it starts to happen. But then, you know, the great, great guitarist, Frank Marino, you know, the guitar heroes of that time, Trower, out of all yeah. that stuff. But heavy, if, if it's a desert island stuff and we're getting really serious, it's the heavier, the better. And, you know, with the progressive stuff in there. That's my... That's your bang zone of rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. But we have a thing called Super Positive Friday at Knucklebone. So it's, you know, it's happy hour on Friday. And you're only allowed to talk about good stuff from that week. And we're dropping the needle on all different kind of kind of things. So never know what we'll pull out on Super Positive Friday. I like it. Sounds like a positive work environment. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it, can, it can be. <laughs> we do it. We deal with rock stars in the music business. So yeah. Sometimes we, we have to work really hard to be positive at the end of the, the week. But. <laughs> so how do you end up getting into this part of the business? Were you an artist at some point beforehand? Or how do you end up with the idea of Knucklebones and this venture? Yeah, so I've, I'm fine arts trained and had TV and film education and went right into what was the original computer graphic wave. When I came out of college, that's about the time computer graphics starts to come down from a supercomputer to a, you know, still really expensive thing. But it's something that is now in the the entertainment sphere. So I got into TV, film, and computer graphics early. So been involved in digital 3D my entire career. Knucklebones is 20 years old. That's when the physical 3D started. So talk about the business a little bit. These figures, are they handmade? Are they part computer made? Did they start it? one way and then you kind of grew into something else because it sounds like it takes a while to make these things it's a fine arts process so everything you just mentioned there there's there's computers involved there's hand sculpting all the molds are made by hand the parts the pieces are cast by hand they're clean and painted by hand so it's mostly a a very tried and through production process that's been used you know for 100 years to make any kind of physical thing that's going to sit on a desk whether that's a collectible that you're going to collect to have in your house for 3D prop making for TV and film. A lot of, you know, a lot of the techniques are the same. And when you want to, let's say you want to license a band, a likeness, I'm assuming they have flat fees of some sort that they don't usually take a piece of the business, right? They just want you to license their likeness and then kind of move on and be, be as involved as I guess they want to be. <laughs> they'll, they'll try, but you know, <laughs> No, the bands, the bands aren't involved with us as a business. We do an official license with the band. So everything we do for 20 years is officially licensed, which means we've gone, gotten the approval from the band or the management. They approve the design of what we have before it goes to market. And it's a little bit like the record business. They get a royalty from what, what we sell. Merchandising's you know, the big money-making aspect of business now, right? Yeah. When we started, the record business was still fairly intact. Yeah. And merchandising is what the record labels left to the bands. So they made money and didn't complain about not making money selling records. So fast uh, forward 20 years, the record labels now have had to go back to the bands and they typically now own the merchandising rights and 
merchandising and touring revenue is how they, that's how the universals and the Sony's make a lot of their money now. And does somebody usually like if an artist signs on with you as a license, is it for an X period of time? Would you rather yeah. have it that way? Would you rather have Zeppelin forever? Like that kind of thing? Or my now other than the original record recording contracts, which, you know, pamper all the artists today, every agreement has a term. Yeah. And they're, they're typically two or three years. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. I've always been interested in, because you're making something that's so unique, man, the number crunchers you got that say, all right, Tony, we should make X amount of these and stop because you don't want to flood the market and you want people wanting more, man, that number, when you land on it has got to be just brutal. Well, we keep that part simple. So we set the addition number for the original Randy Rhodes production, which was 20 years ago. We said, we're not going to make more than 3,000. So every time you get a knucklebone statue, you, you know, you have it in your office there. You have the certificate on the bottom and it will say the hand number. This is number of the addition. So the addition is never more than 3,000. Some cases it's lower. 3D vinyl, for example, here. So you got the statuary, the rock icon statue, and then you've got what we call 3D vinyl. So anything that was inspired by album art is called 3D vinyl. Those editions are whatever the year the album was released. That's the addition. Oh, so you made 1982 blackouts? Exactly. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> Those are a little more expensive, so the addition number is lower, and we just thought it would be cool to honor the, the year of the album, the album release. So that's those are the, the two series. And then the other series we have, which we will pick a year of the tour, we have a thing called On Tour. So you have the Kiss Road games, right? Yeah. Yep. So right On there. Tour happened, you know, the, the statuary rock icons thing, which is here something that looks like a live performance piece. Yeah. That's what we did for a decade plus. And we, we'd be out and talking to fans and, you know, we heard it once we heard it a few times. It's that stuff is so cool, but I'm never going to buy that. And we're like, well, wait a minute, if it's so cool, why not? And it's, well, there's people out there. I've never bought an action figure or a bobblehead or anything like that. And I'm never going to, it's just not my, wow. 
not my thing. And we, I said, we got to fix it. We got to figure this out because here's a music super fan. And we say we're the music super fan company and we don't have anything for that guy or girl. So we, you know, having the conversations as well, you buy t-shirts, right? Yeah. What does the t-shirt have on it? Most of the time, the album cover. What if we did some designs based on album covers? Well, I don't know, but then I don't have a place to display it. You know, I don't have a, a man or person cave. So 3D vinyl now you can, you, know, you can wall mount this. So you see it's the 12 by 12 there. Yeah, that's cool. It just goes right on the wall. So it's out of the way. It looks cool. So that was the that was the motivation there. We had super fans saying, I don't like the statue category or action figures or anything. So then taking that, thinking one step further, what is a, you know something to be worthy of a series? And you know, going to an arena, you know, live arena show, there's nothing I'd rather do, you know, on the planet Earth. Love sports, huge sports fan, but I'd rather have that Queen concert, Fifth Row Center in 82, than being at, you know, the 1980, you know, Miracle on Ice. I'd rather, been, I'd rather have been, I would rather have seen Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury. But so on tour, honors the great tour props, you know, things that you only saw if you went and saw the band live. So in that case, we, we build a road case like it would have traveled. And you won't be able to see it on camera, but you know, super details like the set list yeah. from the Animals Tour right here. So this is actually at the Oakland Arena. That set list where they played "Careful with Your Axe, Eugene." It was the only time they did it. That's what this set list is. And then, of course, the pig which yeah. flew. That's the cool. First time they- so those are those are three series. And like I said, two of them were out of desperation. We got fans that are saying they don't like the category we're doing. Yes, we got to fix it. Yeah. So I gotta, I gotta ask Tony, is it more difficult to work with an artist, a state versus an actual living artist or how does that work? Like working with Randy Rhodes or Jimmy uh, Hendrix, estate versus a slash or a Jimmy page that are still living. It just comes down to people. There's not a situation or a, you know, particular type of group that could be harder than another. As long as the people are good people and are willing to, you know, work with you and, and get back to you, give you feedback. Can't say one's harder, one's harder than another. Is it the artist coming to you or the management companies coming to you, or do you reach out to various artists and management companies or, or these, is it both? These days it is, we've been doing it for so long and we're really the only company focused on music. We, you know, we're a music merchandising company. We're not a toy or a collectible company. We're either right. smart enough or dumb enough <laughs> to only focus on music. We do very little outbound licensing now. Typically, people know about us, and you know our slate for this year and most of next year is already full. So that part of it is different. Ten years ago, there would be there'd be more outbound uh, licensing than there is right now. And, and over that time, there there used to be there was a lot more of independent uh, merchandising companies that would have rights to certain bands. And it's like anything in business; the industry's kind of consolidated. So you've got three or four big players, Sony's Live Nations, Universal Music's, most of the acts that, you know, we're going to know and you're going to want things. People are going to want the things that made for those bands. Those rights typically are with the big, big companies now. There's a few exceptions. Some, some bands will do their own merchandising and the, the merchandising side on the, the businesses, their agreements are like ours. The, you know, the, the big music company will sign a band for merchandising rights and they have a term or an agreement just like we do. You know, when it comes up, sometimes they, they re-up, sometimes they, they move on or they, sometimes they'll bring them the merchandising back and they'll do it. They'll do it themselves. When we worked, we worked with Jimmy Page. It was basically Jimmy doing everything. There, there was a the management in between us, but it was Jimmy had his hand, everything. 
he's a production guy. So yeah. once I remembered that, then I, I stopped being shocked about the, the level of detail he wanted to know about. Cause you know, he, he started in the studio mm-hmm. system, right? So he was completely hands-on flash, very, very hands-on. Some artists, we deal with the management, we get notes. We assume it's from the particular band member, but in some cases we don't know. Have you guys ever dealt with the Van Halen camp? <laughs> there's no such thing. There's no, Van, there's no Van Halen camp. There's five different camps. And we've dealt with all of them. And if you look in our portfolio for 20 years, you will see we have no Van Halen products. That's a shame. It'll happen at some point. I mean, you know, the Sabbath set behind me, it's actually a Sabbath set with all the original members. I would have said, you know, some years ago, I would have said that probably was difficult but they reunited and you know the pantera set has has happened now there you know there was a time if you you know anything about pantera there was a time where you said that that's probably not something we're going to be able to do as a set guns and roses is another good example we did i think our, our second or third production in the early 2000s with was slash and it was directly with flash he didn't have a management group at that time and he's he's in Velvet, you know, he's founded Velvet Revolver then, and we're like, Flash, we don't care, we'll you know, we'll put whatever you want on the buyer and everything. And he was just like, it, I just don't want to deal with you know nonsense surrounding what I'm doing. He didn't even want us to mention he in his bio that he was in a band ever. <laughs> None of it. So the first statue just is just Slash, but he's re- he's really into it. He likes animation and and yeah. uh, fine arts and stuff. So. He's very involved uh, in what he does. Well, I mean, there are certain artists like that, Slash, Randy Rhodes, Eddie Van Halen. Those guys can kind of stand alone. You don't ever really have to even mention that they're in a band, really. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, there, we will have conversations sometimes that, like that with artists, and they'll be apologetic and we'll just say, you know, you're, you're you. It's <laughs> your fan. The fact that it doesn't have a particular band on it, you know, we're going to pick a live moment in, in music. So you'll know, you know, I mean, the Jimmy Bates statues don't say Led Zeppelin, but you know, mm-hmm. when you see the Stormtrooper, that's Chicago, 1977. He did that, he wore that one time for only the first few numbers of, the, of that set. The question I get asked one time is, you know, okay, 20 years, what's your favorite? And I say, I can't have a favorite thing you've ever worked, worked on. Whatever we're working on right now is my favorite. But if, if you really put me to it, that one, the Jimmy Bates Stormtrooper is the, the one. But it, it doesn't have any Zeppelin reference, really. It has Zoso on it, but you know, that's his personal sign. Yeah. So Tony, the Nikes of the world have had to deal with this where there's copycats selling shit on Amazon and eBay. Have you had to deal with like copycats and imitations and possibly using the rock icons name, but it's not a rock icon product? Yeah, I mean, what we do is so hard, you know, a celebrity likeness at the scale. It's, you know, it, it's it's fine arts. If you want to get something that you're going to be able to pass off reasonably as what we do, it's really hard. And trust me. And by the time you do that, and as you know, because you're a collector of, of knuckle bones, we screen print the certificate on the statue, and hand number it. So now you can't alter it, can't lose it. So, you know, the biggest thing that we have, and this is something for your podcast listeners to understand, when you see something that is normally $164 collectible and you're seeing it for $29.95, you might want to take a look at that URL because it's probably counterfeit. Not counterfeit product. What it is is they take an order and they'll ship it to you. 
that's what we see more of. People will actually clone our website where it actually looks like our website and it's run internationally and they will book orders and just never ship anything and hope the person doesn't follow through on it. That's kind of the, we see more of that than actual counterfeit. So, Tony, are you telling me that this isn't actually a rock icon? <laughs> Dude, he never said it was. Funko. Love Funko. Those guys are really good at what they do. <laughs> now, Tony, what's interesting about these high, high-priced, they're great collectibles. They're outstanding, the, the way they're done. Thanks. Is when you're in this business, I guess you have to come to terms with you made the money you're going to make. And if it's resold on eBay by Stephen Michael for $8,000, I guess that's not your problem. Secondary market. We have zero to do with. Yeah. Now that's actually not true. We have the vault and, you know, we put down low numbers of every production we've done. And when we retire a piece, we've always got some in the vault. You know, we've got something of every production we've got for 20 years. We're never completely out of it. Yeah. And a few times a year, we'll open the vault, just like Disney does, right? And bring out something that's been sold out. Then we'll put that up at face value and the fans decide how much it's worth. We don't list it at a crazy price. But yeah, if you find you find something that's been sold out that was you know, a, a hot seller originally and you, you want to get it on the secondary market, it's going to be 10, 20, 30x what you paid for it probably. Yeah. But that's by design. That's why we only do officially licensed limited edition things. We want the collect. We and we've never re-released anything, and we won't. I want to say that again. Twenty years. Once it's gone, either we hit the limited edition number, we can't make anymore, or we've decided we're going to retire this design and do something new. We don't re-release it. So we protect the collector. That if you've invested and you're one of those people that bought one to show, one to go, when it comes time in the secondary market, that. It typically holds his value or is certainly much, much more valuable. And, and that is by design, but most of the time we don't have anything to do with that. Now, I'm assuming you got into the wholesale business to expand, right? Because at some point you want the business to get bigger. When like the Nintendos of the world went to wholesale business to Target, blah, blah, they do price controlling, right? You can't sell it for less than this. You can't sell it for more than this. Like you're not going to jack my business from my personal website, et cetera. I'm assuming you guys do the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's called map. Okay. Map pricing. And we take it very seriously. So we have a select number of distributors around the world that carry our products that, you know, our official resellers that then resell to specialty retail and online retailers around the world. And, you know, they have their discounts from us. And what we tell them is, this is map pricing. If you want to sell it for more than our retail price at any given time, that's completely up to you. But do not, it got popular a few years ago uh, with eBay stores. People would buy a new collectible from us and put it on in their eBay store on a penny, you know, with a penny auction simply to get traffic for the eBay store. So what we did about five years ago is we used to have resellers in the in the U.S. that would sell especially retail, and we cut every one of them. So in the United States, we are the sole source of Knuckle Bones products, direct to consumer. Internationally, that's different because the shipping, for me to ship you something in Germany, it'll probably cut with it between that and that. It'll probably cost more in shipping than the actual product is. So we've got resellers there in all the, all the markets. But in the U.S., we brought it all in-house. We're the only online seller. 
we have bricks and mortar people uh, that we sell to, but we're the sole source online and that that cleaned up a lot of that but we do we do see it and when we have the ability we step in and say don't do that ultimately if somebody's going to do that can we really stop them you know on a given ebay auction or you know listing no but what we can do is take an interest to see they don't get the products next time they don't get new things yeah we interrupt this program to bring you a special report look at all the people here tonight oh man i got to make an announcement right here can you hear me out there it's time to take a quick break in the action from this week's episode sunny and i just wanted to thank all of you the listeners for joining us each and every week whether you just found us today or have been listening for multiple episodes we love your passion for music and rock and roll in general we consider you all part of our loud minority family always remember you can communicate with us a few different ways if you don't mind facebook head over to the growing up rock loud minority facebook group and be part of the conversation it's a private group and all you have to do is ask to join answer a few rock and roll questions and you're in if you despise facebook which many people do then send us an email to growinguprock at gmail.com we get everything there you can follow us on Twitter and Insta at Growing Up Rock, which is one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K. In the event you feel entertained by our podcast, we would appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode and go leave us a five-star review either at Apple Podcast or Podchaser. Now, back to our regularly scheduled program. So do you guys go to like comic book cons and conventions? Do you have a booth? Do you do any of that kind of stuff where you take part in those big, huge comic book and collectible conventions? We, we go to the big trade event for collectibles and toys and, you know, basically anything is in New York. And it used to be, we should have just been coming back, but COVID wrecked it. It's going to be in the fall. It's called Toy Fair. And it's at the Javits Center in New York. So that's, you know, Mattel Hasbro down to Knucklebones and everybody in between goes to that show. That's a buyer show. Comic-Con, we've been asked to attend and we've thought about it. Trade shows, if you're not a really big enterprise and you've got a big sales team and that's what they're doing a lot of, trade shows are really disruptive. You know, for us to do a trade show, it's, you know, a month of planning prior or more. You, know, you got to design the booth, get it there go to the show do the show and then get back and recover it's it's really a disruptive time and we just we're too busy making things so i won't say we won't be at comic-con at some point in the future but we just feel we can make what we say around here we can make more money we can't make more time i'm in the studio 365 days a year i can't work any harder at it what do we spend our time on that's where we spend a lot of time. We spend a lot of time figuring out how to use our time. <laughs> that, doesn't sound, that doesn't sound great, but um, that's really it. What what artists do we decide? You know, we can only make so many products in a year. Who do we bet on? Yeah, there's the tried and true people, and you know, uh, like I say, the, the destroyer set. That'll be our fourth set for Kiss. 
sometimes you know there's going to be there's probably going to be one product Here, here's a good example this is another current shave right here phil lana so, yeah phil lana yeah i love this design phil had such a limited career and you know when you see phil lana it's it's the bullet belt and the the jacket with the sleeves pulled up and the, the pants and the boots probably won't be another that'll probably be it for i think one of the right. things that i think is the absolute coolest about your statues the figures themselves are very cool but to me a lot of the base that you have the statues on to me are super cool like just then did that fill line up was he on a thin lizzie logo mm-hmm. yeah, yeah take it. that's the reason when you get a, a rock icon statue the statue's never on the base typically the reason being is we do put a lot of thought in the design and it, we want it to be a complimentary theme. We don't want it to compete with the statue, but this is heavy. So if we shift with the statue on the base, right, he's going to break at the ankle. We learned that the hard way 19 years ago. So we did yeah. it once and decided we're not going to do that. That's definitely in the knuckle bones style, a themed, a themed base often, even with some of the big pop culture and TV and film licenses. The base is a pedestal that you put something on. That's not, that's not what we do. So we, we spend a lot of time on that. We're really proud of that. Yeah, I mean, I think the other the other thing that uh, was one of my favorites is the Randy Rhodes on top of the Marshall cabinets laying down. And he even got, like, I think the white Marshall cabinets that Rhodes had and used. I just, I thought that was super That cool. was his rig. Yeah, when, once he starts, you know, once he starts going out with Ozzy, that was his little back line. Yeah, had. you can say, I think it's like after hours, you can kind of see that really well with that one whitehead. We're getting ready to, um, provided the Rhodes family approves it, we're getting re- ready to do some variants on that statue. So he has the red leather outfit on with the white guitar. It's starting to turn cream at that point. But he also had a brown version of that. So we're going to, uh, we're going to do some color variants. But the family's got to say, okay, provided that they do. So the brown version of that, we're going to do polka dot, hopefully, and the white Jackson, the Conqueror. Yeah. Do you collect anything yourself? Like that's not uh, music related. Did you collect anything as a kid? Baseball cards, that kind of stuff. Yeah, but um, again, I'm like the opener, so I collected it, and the the collections now, my records, God, you know, I have some of them. Some of them, you know, have you know beer and dance scuffs on them and <laughs> i enjoyed them so yeah the baseball cards you know i had them and sometimes i'd, I'd set them up and, and be doing target practice with the bb gun for anybody on the pittsburgh pirates sorry pirates i was a Phillies <laughs> fan <laughs> i'd pick off willie stargell and you- uh love animation so bakshi animation sells love ralph bakshi i'll when I say collect some of that collector i'm not that organized i will see a thing oh that's really cool i want it so am I a collector of animation cells? No, I have a few that I think are really cool. I don't, do I really qualify as a collector at that point? I'm just a, a buyer of cool stuff. cool stuff. Yeah. So you talked about being in business for 20 years nonstop. That was an important point. Uh, what are some of the major changes that you've seen in your business, like, say, over the last 10 years? You know, our productions are done in southern China, just like everybody. The, the place we've been doing them hasn't really changed. Some of the fact, you know, we worked with different factories but a lot of the production teams and people we've worked with for over a decade a lot of that's the same as far as how we sell i guess it's kind of come full circle so we founded the company on the idea that music fans are underserved and we can make some things that we can 
you know, deal directly with the fan. And, you know, we don't necessarily need a retail presence. And an expensive collectible is not something that typically a, a Walmart or a Target is going to be involved in. That's not the case anymore, but it was certainly like that. But that's how we started and the series started to get more popular. And we had just tons of, you know, wholesalers and resellers and sales groups wanting to be involved with the product. And we opened it up and it got wider and much bigger. But, you know, when you do that, then it's you start to get more of more of the issues where you talked about, you know, nonsense with pricing and pre- people trying to sell counterfeit things or other chicanery. We've now gone back to kind of where we were 20 years ago. Where we're, are the people that are involved with Knucklebones products, it's a very select group. You know, we've known the people a long time and we're the sole source here. In production, how we do things, I mean, we get better at it. We get more efficient at it. But the techniques we use... We're all pretty much the same. Like I say, it's it was a really old, old process. The same process that made the action figure that they dug up in the, the Roman Colosseum is the same process we use. Somebody sculpted something, they make a mold, and then they cast it. Cast it a few of them. Now we saw the vinyl 3D albums, which is unbelievably awesome. But I'll tell you, there's like nobody doing a great job with like classic NFL. Major League Baseball, NBA players. I'm talking about Staubach, Jordan, Dominique, Mike Piazza, like the Yastrzemski's. Like Bradford Exchange is doing some stuff, but well, I mean, where did McFarland on that? That was that was his thing for the longest time. I know that the collectible side for them is not as important as it was. Are they not? Are they not doing that at all now? Not Bradford Exchange is doing a little bit, but it's nothing yeah. like what you guys do. It's not even close. What I can say is, you know, everything we do is officially licensed and knowing a decent amount about just the licensing business in general. Yeah. I can just tell you that the reason you might not be seeing a ton of that is just because it's so hard from the business side to do something that's officially licensed. For baseball, you have to do a, a Derek Jeter, you have to have three different licenses. You have to have the license from Jeter. You have to have the license from the league. And then you have to have a license from the Players Association. Wow. I'm not in a hurry. Yeah. Yeah. To do that, I'll watch my direct TV. I guess you're right, but I, 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 I don't know why. Yeah. But I think it, it might just be that's it's tough. You know, it might just be cost prohibitive. And if it's officially licensed product, now that's three sign offs you got to get. Yeah. And, you know, that's tough. I think basketball is a little better. But all the other three-letter leagues, you know, that that we would deal with would be the same. And we've we've been approached about it, you know, sports and TV and film, and we, you know, we always look at it, but we've always said no. Yeah. Now the bands in the '60s, '70s, and '80s, I thought did a great job of being visual. Right? There's iconic shots, and I think part of that is not everything was available, so we saw what we saw. But now that mm-hmm. everything's available and grunge really wasn't visual at all, like what would you tell like a hailstorm? It was like, God, can you like do something where I can make figures of you and it would be awesome? You know? I don't know, man. I don't know that I would tell them anything. I mean, they're, they're doing what, what they, what they want to do. And I mean, if ultimately that's not something that it's going to get you up on stage and being excited about what you're doing. I don't know. I just know that, you know, that was a, a big part, you can say, you know, bands were being genuine when they were doing that. And I think in most cases they were, but they also knew that, you know, guess what? The promoter pays a little bit more if you've got a production value for your show and you might, you know, you're going to get booked into a 5,000 seat arena versus the local club. So I don't know, but I mean, I know what you're saying, but you know, if you were there in 75 and you were at the garden and you saw a song remains the same, 
I mean, they had some cool lighting behind them. But other than the TV crew was there, I mean, there wasn't a lot. There was some fog. <laughs> there wasn't there wasn't a ton going on until a little bit later. It's just the band itself was just so striking and unique. I mean, the costuming would be the thing that you could say, yeah, okay, it does. Costuming doesn't need to be super expensive. It's not hard to tour with. You know, the costumes then were so, you know, amazing. All of them, even the guitar heroes, you know, took time to do something unique and, yeah. and cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was all very new back then as well. So I think, uh, I mean, now, most everybody is desensitized to anything because we've seen it all right. <laughs> we've seen everything there is to see. So who is the next Iron Maiden kiss black Sabbath Led yeah. Zeppelin? Some of the stuff I'm still though amazed that I'm, I think, you know, I need to be better about just keeping up and just listening outside of my, outside of the comfort zone. But I mean, some of the, and, and it's typically the heavier bands that are, that are doing it. But I mean, Go look at, you know, Maria Brink and in this moment, watch the opening of that show. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Ghost is doing a pretty good job with it. Yeah. We've done a ton with Tobias. We, we're just, we're signing a new license. So you'll see some more, some more papas from us this year. And some, you know, we actually done the, the nameless school. We've done some of the band and those fans show up. They're a tremendous fan base. They buy a lot. They buy a lot of what we do, but you know, Ghost is older, but you know, in this moment, they're not new, but I mean, you know, within the last decade, they broke. So it's out there. What I people will say, oh, you know, today it's just not the same, which is, I, you know, that's true uh, to some extent. But the big difference is, you know, when we were growing up, music, the whole industry was pretty curated, right? You know, to get a record deal and to be able to tour, typically there were exceptions. You know, the label system was involved. So for good or bad, the label system would call out a lot of the nonsense and what you saw, what was actually in a record store to get a slot there and get a record made. You, know, you had to be pretty, you had to have something going on. Um, yeah, there, now no filters there's, anymore. Yeah. Now it's, there's plenty of amazing artists and stuff, but it's like a friggin' fire hose. You know, wow, this is a lot of great water, but you know, it's giving me a bloody nose. I can't actually tell anything about it. So you're drinking from the fire hose. It's it's harder to find. It's not that it's not there. That's what I would say. It's, it's just harder to find. Uh, and what a shame, you know, growing up, and it's a little like sports, you know, you had your, your band fandom and you had your progressive rock kids and in art class, they sat at a certain part of the table and they didn't mix with the classic, you know, the Skinner crew didn't sit with the Rush crew, you know, <laughs> they're in different parts of the classroom. And what you wore on your denim and everything, it was it was just so cool. And it said a lot about who you are and who you wanted to hang with. I guess that exists somewhat today. Yeah, it's, it's on your Twitter profile. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like it to me. And my you know, my kids are 18 and 20, so I just went through it. 
you know, it's just not the same level of reverence for whatever, whatever reason. Hey, Tony, Sonny didn't sit with the Skinner or the Rush crew. Nope. <laughs> Neither one. Yeah, I, sat, I, sat with every, I sat with everybody at one point. I'd like to think I was, I was fair, but, but Sonny, who, who did you sit with? Uh, I sat with the hair metal guys. The metal, metal yeah, guys. Yeah. yeah. Metal well, guys. And the thing, yeah, so now, okay, can the Dawkins guys, you know, sit with the New Orleans guys? Uh, no. I don't know. What a shame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a place, you were talking about portfolio. Is there one place where the entire portfolio exists? Because I couldn't find it. No, and we, we suck at that. We're getting ready to, we're fixing that. So over the course of the year, knucklebones.com, we need to revamp and start thinking about Web3. And we're going to be doing something digitally for the first time this year. You know, We've been waiting. We saw the whole thing happen over the last couple of years where the whole digital collectible thing, you know, came to the beach and crashed and now the tide's gone out and everybody has their feelings hurt about it so we've been we've been sitting on the sidelines but we're going to come in in digital and when we do that we're going to have a section that will have information about everything it'll be a hall of fame yeah starts with the great randy Rhodes in 2003 but yeah that's our bad we're going to fix that this year you know you'll see some stuff that'll get offered digitally that doesn't exist anymore so if you miss the physical you'll get a crack at the digital sometime this year we're we're heavily in development right now. It'll be the fall before we're ready to ready to show you anything. But it's gonna be badass, I guarantee it. We're not scanning in a an album cover and changing the color of it, saying here you go. It's the same level of three D and craft that'll go on the digital side that's gonna happen on the physical. We're gonna on the digital side, you know, we're gonna show a lot of people are like, Why would I get involved in digital? And you know, the answer is, you know, there are things that we can do in digital that we can't do in physical. I can't put uh, one of our statues necessarily on stage for everybody and have, you know, the fog machine in the background. I mean, I can do that back here, but I can't give that to you. Yeah. That's the kind of thing we're going to be able to to do in digital. You wanted the best, but you got the best. The hottest band in the world. Kiss! It's time for your historic moment on growing up rock you're a kiss fan obviously absolutely card carrying member of the army yeah so favorite kiss album destroyer destroyer okay i'm assuming if there's a song you need to hear is probably detour rock city i'm thinking i like that whole record i mean that was a good record yeah front to back really Um, great expectations really You can drop the needle and it, it doesn't make you get up and change it. That's yeah. what I would say, yeah. right? But, you know, the, the live record, you know, that's one of the, you know, album art was like, and still is, you know, some of the most important things in, in media for me. And that was the major marketing tool. And music went digital. What a shame. We lost that. And that's how I found bands like Queen and Kiss. I went to the record store and 
saw the original record with the makeup and went, gotta have this. Yeah. It's interesting because there's a myth that when these kind of collectible things happen, that Gene is a driving force and Paul doesn't give a shit. But in your case, I've seen interviews and stuff written up that Paul was really involved in the stuff you were doing. Not true. We get notes directly from Paul and he, he's very detailed and interested in everything that we do. Everything we do, we know that he sees and you know his feedback is always welcome. And what, what we say when we're going through the process is we will revise our design a thousand times. All we ask is when we're revising it, the piece is getting better. When we start to revise things and it's we're starting to just change things and the piece isn't improving, that's when I, as the designer and art director, that's where I'll stick my hand up. But yeah. Yeah. No, those guys are super on it and they just have a passion for it and like it. So it, it makes it, it makes it cool when you get notes from, from Gene or Gene or Paul. Yeah. So as we close up, I want to, I want to say a couple of things. One, when you get a package from rock icons, dude, that thing is set up so well. I've never gotten a damaged item, right? So that thing is set up so well. You guys package it really well. Well, I will make sure to tell our operations people. So all our customer service and operations, it's all internal. That's not, you know, somebody yeah. that we've contracted to work on it. That's all all our people. And we work hard at that. I mean, it's a fragile piece of fine art that ships around the world. Yeah. You know, other issues that happen, yeah, they, they happen all the time. But I can honestly say to a person that something that you're not happy with for whatever reason, either get you another one or refund your money, no hard feelings. With honesty, you know, we treat everyone fairly. We collect things ourselves and you know, we just do what would we do? What would we expect if we were on the other side? So we all make sure that the, that you tell them you said that they'll really appreciate it. And the price you put stuff at, it's absolutely worth the money. But I absolutely love that you don't have to buy all four pieces, right? Because like I told you, I've got all the ace guys. I don't got the other guys because I'm an ace guy and I wanted the ace stuff first. I might get the other guys at some point, but it's cool that because all four of those guys, especially were their own being that you allowed it to look, you can kind of pick and choose whichever one you want. The only time that will not be the case. If, if it's up to knuckle bones, that's absolutely true. We don't make you buy the band as a set. Now, if you do buy the bands as a set, we, we always give a price break. If you're buying, you know, four statues is very expensive. So you do get a break to do that. There are, some instances where the band will say we only want it sold as a set. And that was the case with Black Sabbath. That was, if you want it, we'd love, Black Sabbath would love you to do it. We know the fans would like it. However, you know, you would have to sell it as a set. And we just said, well, we can not do Black Sabbath, or we can sell it as a set and we're going to hear it. And we did. And all we can say is, guys, this is what Black Sabbath wanted us to do. So it was either that or we can't give it to you. That's because nobody out there is buying a Bill Ward. That's exactly what I was going to say. Tony can't say that, but we will. You'd be surprised. <laughs> the thing I would say about that is there will be, you know, the band maybe you think is least visual and maybe least popular. Nobody's going to buy them as a, a single, but I think I can say in 20 years, that's never happened. There's always fans of certain people. But one of the reasons for that is, is when you go and, you know, such that there are magazines anymore, when you go to the magazine stand, how many guitar magazines are there? You. There's bass player magazine. There's drummer world. You know, and, and there's keyboard world and so on. The only one there isn't is there's not frontman world. Yeah. Right. That's what Rolling Stone and Circus and Hit Parader and Cream Magazine, not affiliated with Cream or Boy Howdy. <laughs> Cream Magazine, Circus, Hit Parader, 
and then Don Kirstner's show, rock concert, and then in concert. Those were how radio helped a little bit. But I mean, after radio, really, you weren't hearing Kiss or anything like that. So that's how we found out how we found out about stuff back then. Okay, Tony. So we have a special gift for our listeners today, and I'm going to make this perfectly clear to the listener, and it'll be in the show notes. So if you're listening to this episode within two weeks after it was released, then you can use this promo code to get 10% off at knucklebones.com, and the link will be in the show notes. So the code is PC2KBZ. 0423. And again, that'll be in the show notes. So you don't have to be driving down the road and trying to write that down, <laughs> but uh, it'll give you 10% off at knucklebones.com. And that is from our friends at Knucklebones and Tony. Tony, thank you very much for that gift to our listeners. We appreciate that. No, well, we're happy to do it. Sonny, do you have anything to add or anything more to uh, ask Tony why he is here? <laughs> no, Tony, thanks for joining us today. Like I said, I love your products. I'm not into all the bands that you sell. Nobody's going to be into all those bands. Well, probably except for you. You can't like everything, man. Yeah, yeah, you can't. But the stuff that I like, man, and I like I said, I have the stuff in my room. I hope someday the hailstorms of the world have stuff because I would buy a bunch of hailstorm stuff. I'm surprised bands like Striper haven't come to you yet. I hope that happens to you someday because I would buy a bunch of Striper stuff. The answer is when people like ask about a specific band or whatever, the, the answer is, you know, probably Yeah. at some point. I mean, the biggest thing with us is like I say, we're, we're only so big, you know, we can only, only do so many projects a year, but uh, you know, if, if fans, you know, fans want a particular band or does to do a particular thing with any of the artists we have, you know, hit us up at the website, tell us what you want to see. Ultimately the fans dictate what we do. Cause we, we hear about it. We see how, the fandom is, you know, around a certain band and social medias and stuff and who's, who's hot. And, you know, that's, that's typically who the fans want. Yeah. Yeah. I think this goes way beyond collectibles. It is artwork and uh, it just so happens that it's artwork that is collectible and it's, it's high end, high quality stuff. So this isn't mass produced stuff. That's why it takes a long time to produce. And that's why only certain people have their hands on it etc but go to the website knucklebones.com check it out for yourself sunny owns some of the stuff it's pretty amazing artwork and uh tony zimmerman thank you again for spending all this time with with us we appreciate it and uh yeah that's it all right fellas thanks see ya later get ready to shuffle rattle and roll play us out boys Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. 
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.